Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 248th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. We win! 54 to 53, North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Fred Brown looking, oh, way to Worthy! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out of timeout! Technical foul! Technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout! party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May! It's over! Carolina has won the national championship! 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it! The Tar Heels are the national Champion. Love guarded by Keels, gets a screen, pulls up for three. Got it! Caleb from straight away! This is the Four Corners Podcast. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today. It's been a little bit of a while, but... It is the off-season, so the times that we get on here to talk uh, won't be quite as frequent as they are, of course, when we're in the season. But we got a nice little topic conversation to talk about today. We got some notes. Uh, we got some notes about Carolina's uh, schedule coming together for next year. We're going to address some Caleb Love rumors. Leaky Black worked out for what current or former NBA championship organization? And so much more. But we start, as we always do, with our pod thought of the day. And we go to a current member of the Carolina women's basketball program, Alyssa Utsby. And her quote is, making everyone else's job is my favorite thing to do. Or making everyone else's job easier is my favorite thing to do. And, uh, you know, a lot of things stood out to me when I first saw this. She and I came across this quote. She she did a lot of it. Um, this is what I do every single day in my Liar. walk of life. I make everyone's jobs easier because I go above and beyond um, to, to make everyone have to do less work while I do more or m- more work. But um, the thing, sure. the the player that I thought of the most when when this when I when I saw this quote and I thought about it was Puff Johnson. And a guy that the last the last two years when it was when he was on the court, it felt like he made the game easier for someone else. And you're probably asking me why am I bringing up Puff, a guy who has since entered the transfer portal and has landed at Penn State. Well, he actually joined the Wesson Walker show right here uh, at Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the show that I actually produce and work on on a daily basis, and he talked about a variety of different things uh, over the course of 
his conversation, and he led off with his decision to transfer outside of the Carolina basketball program. Just being close to home is huge for me. Uh, Penn State's about two hours away. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And being close to home is huge for me, just so my mom can come watch some games. She's been uh, probably about four games of mine, and that was the Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four in the championship oh, wow. game when um, we went on the run my sophomore year. And I've been here for three years, and she didn't get to watch any of the games, so I feel like that was huge for me. And I'm just excited. I like the coaching staff down at Penn State. Coach Rose are great people. And... Uh, they're just hungry to win, and I like that. And I remember growing up watching Penn State. I mean, I live my hometown's two hours away from there. I won a state championship my junior year there, and just uh, they're just excited and they're pumped because Penn State's always wanted to have a winner for basketball, and uh, I feel like that's what they can return to too. You know, um, first off, you know, of course, on on the show when when Puth was on with us, was really just taken aback by how mature he he sounded and stuff like that. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you though, Anthony. Uh, when when he talked about um, Penn State basketball was was dying to 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 have a winner, and people have always wanted Penn State basketball to be a thing. I kind of chuckled at that because um, I've watched college basketball for 15 plus years. I think Penn State has made the tournament twice since uh, since I've been watching it. Um, of course, they beat Carolina back in the 2001 NCAA tournament. A guy that I bring on during the season to talk about the, the the college basketball year, John Crispin, was on that very Penn State squad. Like that kind of caught me off guard. They got a great head coach. The job that Rhodes did at VCU, I do feel like he he's that that's going to carry over when he gets to uh to, to Penn State. The thing that stuck out to me the most though was just how little his his mom was in attendance and you know i don't know if that was the same when when cam was at carolina i guess you could you would imagine that it's that it was but you would think with with cam being the guy that he is in the nba making some legitimate money um as he as he's a big part of what the the nets are going to do in, in in the future that there may have been some some more funds to to allow his family to travel to to watch Puff play basketball, to watch him play basketball, undoubtedly that that didn't happen. And as as funny as I may have found it, him him talking about Penn State in a basketball kind of way, it is really hard to get mad at a kid for going back close to home, where his mom could watch him play a whole a whole heck of a lot more than what he's done in his two three years in Chapel Hill. Yeah, that part is certainly interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't, of course, you know, when it comes to the money situations and stuff like that, it is so hard to speculate. And really it's not, it's not even worth trying because we don't know the situations that people are in. Yeah. You've got, uh, you've, you've got Cam, uh, Cam making the money, um, you know, in the, at the NBA level. I mean, he's, you see what he's doing even this year in the playoffs in Brooklyn um, really looked good. But at the same time, I mean, you, you don't really know. I mean, for Cam, that that money is something that, you know, it, maybe his, his parents are not trying to ask him for or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, I mean – that that part of it is is something that is completely understandable. I mean, the thing about wanting to go home and and represent for your state. I mean, look, there's there's certain guys that it, that matters more to them than others. 
Um, I think, you know, for him, it, it was probably, you know, it's it's definitely a, uh, an, odd, a, a, an odd situation for him to be in. Well, because, you know, he'll talk about this a little bit later. You know, he came in in the COVID class. You're talking about a guy that had to deal with the pressure of coming in after a guy in Cam Johnson who is one of, if not the best three-point shooter that's ever played in a Tar Heel basketball uniform. Um, So, I mean, look, there was a lot of pressure on him from the get-go. And then you add in, you know, what, what he had to be a part of this year. It makes sense why, you know, he wants to probably go home and get, get back close to his family and be in a spot that he feels, you know, comfortable in. Um, and, and, I mean, when it comes to the Penske basketball in that area, I mean, look, you mentioned John Crispin. We've had him on the Mac and Bone show before, and he has said right out that people in, in, in people at Penn State do not care about basketball. Um, so that, I mean, that's certainly interesting, but the other thing is, is look, maybe there is more of of a care factor here recently, especially with, you know, the opening of the transfer portal and everything like that. It allows these teams to be more competitive. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because look, he is from that area. So maybe there, maybe there are a lot more people up there that now are more invested in what Penn State basketball does. You know, Penn State football is still good, but they're not at the level that they were under Joe Paterno. So maybe they're sort of expanding their horizons and not just looking at, well, we're a football school. Maybe they are saying, look, it's time to have some standards and, and want to be competitive in basketball. Um, but I ultimately, you know, look, I I don't know what the real – what the the main reason is I don't know if he actually gave that to us right there. I just think, man, he needed a, ch- a change of scenery. And I don't think we can really blame him. I-, I feel like, you know, the pressure that he had on him and that, you know, this past season, just the the overall feeling around that team, it, to me, it makes sense why he wanted to go go elsewhere and, you know, seek other options to try to finish out his career. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely makes a lot of sense. One of the things that I that I talk about a lot, and I talked about it a lot this past year with certain guys, um, was that I didn't think they were an ACC caliber player. I said that quite a lot about about Pete Nance during some of his struggles. Um, I, I kind of think we all knew internally that was what Will Shaver was. That's why, you know, he is now transferred out of the program, has now committed and just decommitted from Belmont. I, I always felt, though, that Puff was an ACC caliber basketball player, given his size, his length, his ability. It was just more that his body failed him more often than not. But yep. you mentioned, you know, the pressure of the 2022-2000 or the 2022-23 season. And Puff reflected back on his last year in Chapel Hill to say whether or not he thought the team failed. I'm not sure if y'all saw the Giannis quote when the yes. press conference asked him. Oh, about yeah. Was it oh, a yeah. failure? We saw that. Yeah. Was it a failure? And I was thinking, like, yeah, like, I mean, every, every time you go out there – each team no one's trying to lose i mean we had a 20 win season but it wasn't uh what people expected us to do just because we came in with such high expectations and we weren't sneaking up on anyone but yeah i mean 
Uh, it didn't end the way we wanted it to, but this will definitely be my brothers for life. All right, I I gotta be I gotta be a little easy when I talk about this answer because these are college kids that that we're talking about. Um, but I have no problem deeming the year a failure, and that's that's what happens when you start preseason number one. You you put out a graphic, uh, bringing back an iconic. Uh, Sports Illustrated cover with the team that started preseason number one and go on to win the national championship. When you do that and you're as heavy a favorite to win the league as we can remember within the last decade and you don't win the ACC regular season, let alone, and then you, you, then you fail to make the NCAA tournament, I have a really hard time saying that this season was a success. I don't know what they did this year that was successful. Even the 20 games they won were were maddening for the majority of them. And him using Giannis as the springboard to the answer really re- was really was really interesting because Giannis maybe the best player in basketball uh led the Bucks to the one seed in the East. Of course they lost in the first round. In, in the playoffs in five games to the Miami Heat. And and Giannis went on a rant saying that you never fail in sports when quite literally his team his team did fail. And they, they didn't achieve anything of note in the postseason. The thing about Puff was that I I think he did allude to just all the stuff they went to they that they went through played played a role in and why the year went out the way it went. Whether it was the positive stuff mixed with the negative stuff, uh, chemistry issues, trying to to figure out how to replace a guy that was so important like Brady Manick was, going through with a second-year head coach. And, you know, we kind of talked about it from, from the jump last year. How many times in the history of the sport has there been a second-year head coach tasked with either winning a national championship or being considered a bust. It hasn't happened or it, it, it hasn't happened that quite often. And I think some of the inexperience that Hubert Davis has in his coaching bag played a role in why this team ultimately didn't achieve any of their goals in the preseason. What did you make of Puff Johnson looking back and saying you know, whether or not this past season, one that where they didn't achieve any goals was or was not a failure. It was, uh, I mean, look, it was kind of a confusing answer because he starts out by talking about Giannis, but then he says that, yeah, they won 20 games, but so I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he was bringing up Giannis and basically saying that what Giannis said is wrong, that you know, with the expectations that they had, it it was a failure. I mean, I I just that that was that was a very very strange answer to say the least. Now, I do think that he did, I, I don't remember if it was in this clip or if it was in another clip. Um, 
I, I, he did basically admit that the pressure was too much for this team, that everything that they did was, was highly scrutinized, hyper-analyzed um, from the minute that they got back on campus. And look, part of that, I mean, you got to know that. You got to know when you're coming in off of... Well, that, I mean, that, that, that that's just Carolina basketball from the moment well, you, yes. you commit to the moment you leave the program. Well, yes, but I do think that this year's team, it was even more than normal. Now, it's not like any other team hasn't faced this. They're, they were in the same boat as the 09 team and as the 17 team. When you bring all these guys back like that, and pretty much you are deemed a team that is coming back for one reason and one reason only, then yes, you, you are going to be hyper-analyzed by everybody, no matter what you are doing. And I really do feel like that that was something we talked about so much throughout the year, was is this a team that's capable of handling the, the, the expectations? Because, look, last year, you know, look, they, they were, for the majority of the season, a middle-of-the-road team. They got hot at the end of the year, but they never had expectations. I mean, yeah, you could say, okay, maybe they had some expectations in the game against Duke in the Final Four because by that point they were on a pretty extensive run, and that that game was as important a game that Carolina has played in program history. That's probably the one game that you could say they had huge expectations in because even the national title game, you know, a lot of us, I think, went in, we felt pretty confident because you're playing for a national title. You're always going to feel confident. But I think a lot of us in, in, in our minds knew, okay, if they lose, it's it's understandable because they exhausted so much into just trying to beat Duke and avoid being the team that lost that Final Four matchup. So, I mean, look, I, I think th- this was a team that it looked very evident Right off the bat, I told you that when it, really the first two, three games of the year, I told you this is a team that looks like they, the best thing that could happen to them is to lose and take the pressure off of them. And the problem is, is that even once they started losing, it seemed like this team kept the pressure on themselves to keep winning. And, you know, people not, I mean, look, we're part of the media and and, and we did this as well. And to be honest with you, there's no reason to apologize for it. You started preseason number one, but that held, that was held over their head the entire year of, hey, you are preseason number one. No preseason number one has ever missed the NCAA tournament. And I think it started stacking up in their minds that, hey, we could be the first to do it. And I think they kind of let that take over. And he pretty much admitted that when he was out there. And 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 that's something that, you know, I think we all kind of wanted confirmation on. And now we that now we know that really that's kind of what led us to this point that they just that they were crushed by the pressure. And part of that is that they don't they they didn't have strong enough leaders on this team, it appears, to be able to handle that. Yeah, no, and I think that's one of the things that Huber Davis and his staff they're identifying in the portal as they continue to piece together the roster for a year that will most likely determine the outlook and the direction and the future of this program. 
under Huber Davis. So, you know, Puff talked about that. We started off with his his decision to transfer. He also spoke about his transfer portal experience and just how crazy that journey was for him. I mean, I had no idea. So this is what the second year of the portal, like really being like the portal. And so like, I had no idea that it was going to be like this. I knew it was going to be wild, but I remember talking to a lot of coaches. It's almost like speed dating. It's like when you first get on the phone with the coach, it's like, listen, are you interested? Because there's a million people in the portal. Mm. And if you're not interested, then we have to go somewhere elsewhere because the portal's like good players are going fast and good players are at a premium, but there's also a lot of players. And so you're not trying to miss anyone. So it's like they'll call you. And like the first question I'd usually get is like, are you interested to coming to fill in the blank? Or are you interested to coming to fill in the blank? And if not, like, it's fine. Like, I understand. But uh, we have, what, four, four or five coaches. And we're trying to get as many players as possible. And a lot of these teams, especially with the transfer portal um, being the way it is now, a lot of these teams are starting from scratch. I think Penn State has three returning players from last year. I mean, most graduated, but with the transfer portal the way it is, I mean, you're bringing in a whole new team, and so just developing developing a chemistry and relationship is huge. So they try to get these players as fast as they can. It's almost like speed dating. You know, we we all know that the transfer portal NIL right now it's it's like the wild wild west. There's there's just a whole lot going on with not a whole lot of regulation, if you will. Um, and so, like, you know about it, and then when you hear a player that you've watched play every moment of his career for the last three years talk about it, 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 it kind of does give you a different perspective. You know, he referenced that it was like speed dating. You're getting hit up on Twitter, Instagram, you know, pretty much. No they're idea asking, what that's like. Yeah, and, and and they're pretty much asking you like on the spot, like if you're interested, great. We'll start talking to you. If not, you know we gotta we gotta move on and 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 go find someone else. First thing I want to talk about, and maybe maybe you don't disagree, or maybe you don't you don't agree. I I got to a point in his transfer portal cycle. I thought there was a chance he was coming back to Carolina. I thought after no. he went, I thought when he went through it, you know, you have that connection to being a the, the younger brother of one of the more beloved heels in the last five years, 10 years, or, or whatever. I thought maybe that would have some pull to get him back at UNC, given the struggles they were having at the time landing forward or, or wing players, because it, it's been kind of a struggle for Huber Davis and his staff so far. I thought there was a chance maybe Puff Johnson came back, and maybe that was just me blindly hoping that because I talked about it all year long that I thought he should have been a starter. There's a love and an, ad- and, an, and an admiration for the kid because I, I, I was just confused he ended up there. you know. And I know maybe playing close to home had a, had, had a big role in it, but I thought Puff Johnson had a, had a chance to, to go play at a program with a higher prestige – then, then Penn State. What did you take away from him talking about this transfer, his transfer portal experience, and why don't you agree with me that you thought there was ever going to be a chance he'd be back at Carolina? I mean, look, when we when we saw the comments from his his dad, I I, I knew that was the end of that. I I, I figured. Yeah, but I mean, you you can sue that stuff over. I mean, I say no, stuff no, no, to you all I the time, and we're still here. Yeah, yeah, amazingly. Um. I don't – I just – the way 
his dad said he to me i thought his dad was easily the most critical of the program and i didn't even think it was close so i mean you, yeah. you've got a dude you've got a dude in caleb love who this fan base has been piling on for years now and it was like decades i i mean it, it, it's <laughs> and and even his dad like it was nowhere near what you saw from Puff's dad there. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just, to me, I could just tell that his his family was frustrated with how things had gone. Um, you know, they're they'll never say it out loud. I don't think that they really care that much for Coach Davis. It doesn't seem like his dad does the way that he he was talking. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't really know. Now, to me, I, I've already said it. I don't think that's really fair to Hubert. I don't really know what more Hubert could have done. Like, I think this was just a really bad situation for Puff, based off of his injury history. I, I, I really, that's the biggest thing for me when when it comes to his legacy at Carolina. He's going to be one of the bigger what if guys. Because, I mean, look, coming out of high school, he was, uh, you know, a relatively high-ranked prospect. Look, he wasn't a five-star, but he was a guy that uh, people thought could do a a lot of similar things to what his brother did. Uh, Maybe not shoot it at the clip that he did, but still be able to stretch the floor. We, We saw what he was capable of, you know, on the glass and, you know, just on the defensive end of the floor. And we just, we were never able to see him actually become the, uh, a full-time starter because of all the injuries. He was never able to grow in, you know, whichever system he was in, Hubert David, uh, Hubert's system or uh, Roy Williams' system. So, I mean, I just – I never thought he was, he was going to end up back there. I, for a while, I honestly did not – I was concerned that he would not end up anywhere. Because we were hearing nothing on his front. So it was like, okay, well, are we is, – is he actually going to find a home? Um, and and I, I got to be honest, I think the, what he described there is something that a lot of players should listen to and really take into account before they make the decision of, look, when you go in, you, you better be ready – for decisions that have to be made on the fly almost immediately. Like you you pretty much have a day to decide whether or not, if that, to decide whether or not you are interested in a school. And if, if, you know, if, if they feel like you're even uncertain about that, they are moving on. So it's, it's a process that I think is probably incredibly frustrating. I mean, look, we've, we've heard kids that, you know, really just can't get bogged down and and struggle to handle the recruiting process itself because you have to tell recruiting staffs that you have ties with that, hey, you're, you know, you're going somewhere else. Well, this, I mean, this is even more pressure packed because you have to decide in a split second of pretty much entering the portal whether or not you are actually interested in a school and you're you're putting them in consideration so i mean i to, that that was the thing that stood out the most to me is that this is this is a process that as we thought it was going to be is incredibly chaotic and unless you really have a specific spot picked out and even then 
even then, you know, if you have a specific spot picked out and you don't end up, you know, that school doesn't end up wanting you, then you're kind of stuck in the portal and you've got to go through this process that you weren't really prepared to go through. And sometimes, look, that option to come back isn't always there. I don't think that's what happened here by any stretch, but I thought that was really interesting what he said about how the process works. And it really just shows what we thought that especially with NIL, it is complete chaos once you get in there. Yeah, no, I'm really glad he doesn't take the same approach when he's deciding on programs as I do on Tinder, where I just swipe right no matter what. He has a lot more of a uh, a, a bigger or, or much more thought out selection process, and you know it, it appears that's worked out well for him. He picked Carolina, and now he's going to Penn State. Still not a bad place to get an education from, at the least. Uh, but the last thing, and this is the one that really, th- this might have been the answer that really just caught my eye the most. Uh, the last answer we'll play from his interview on Wesson Walker. You can find the interview anywhere you find your podcast. He talked about how the transfer portal itself is impacting recruiting, not just at the college ranks, but even at the high school ranks. I'm not sure if y'all saw the Giannis quote when the yes. press conference asked him oh, about yeah. was it oh, a yeah. failure. We saw that. Yeah, was it a failure? And I was thinking, like, yeah, like, I mean, every every time you go out there, each team, no one's trying to lose. I mean, we had a 20-win season, but it wasn't uh, what people expected us to do just because we came in with such high expectations and we weren't sneaking up on anyone. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it didn't end the way we wanted it to, but this will definitely be my brothers for life. You know, we – the day the day after Puff was on the show, I was I was talking with um, P1 to to the show, and, and and our assistant program director here, Colin Hoggard, about this, because I said I said I thought that was as mature and wise an answer I've heard a college kid give in an interview talking about this. Um, and look, not, not taking away what other kids have said, but this one was just really I thought it was really insightful. And really thoughtful. And, you know, one thing that Colin brought up was as much as every as much as we celebrate those those guys that are using their fifth year, uh, their, 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 their COVID years or whatever. That's another kid in high school not getting a college scholarship. And as brutally honest as as that statement is, it's truthful. And, you know, I, I think it's something that when you go back and you look at the NCAA's decision to to grant the COVID year, I don't think we're going to ever complain about it, right? Because at the time, it felt like one of the things that the NCAA got right. You were asking student athletes to navigate playing whatever sport it was during an, uh, during an unknown time. Like we didn't know then that we were going to come out of the pandemic as as quickly as we did, and it still took almost a full year, pretty much, before we even really got back to quote unquote normal. Even though we all knew from the moment that that COVID started, we were never going to go back to what normal was pre pre the pandemic. And you know how this this COVID year. I mean, look, look, without the COVID year, does Carolina go to the national title game two years ago with Brady Manick? That answer is probably not. It's 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 done a lot of good, 
but there's always some some negative things that come out of this. And, and I just thought it was really eye-opening because I, as much as we follow recruiting in what we do, as much as we talk about recruiting in what we do, I never once really thought about the transfer portal impacting the high school recruiting ranks. And as you mentioned in that answer, it's directly impacting his brother being recruited, who probably, yeah, isn't going to be like Cam and him, be able to play at the level of a Carolina. But even the transfer portal is making it harder for someone like his brother to get in at a high-level mid-major, let alone just another mid-major program anywhere around around the country. When you listen to his answer and, and, and you, you hear his thoughts on the transfer portal impacting the high school level is there any way you think that this can this can be can be solved could be fixed to where we're still getting high schoolers the college scholarships that they want and need to get an education get a chance to chase after career in basketball while also helping guys navigate move around and 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 get the most out of their four or five years of their college basketball experience well, look, the, the biggest thing that affected high school recruiting is the COVID year more than anything. Not not really the transfer portal. I it, it look, it has an effect, certainly certainly. Um, because you're you're gonna have teams that I mean, we we've seen it more more so on the football side of things, but I guess we've seen it, you know, this year on the basketball side of things as well, that you know, this this is they're, they're when you're out there putting together a roster, you're going to try to leave spots open for possible transfers, which mm. means that you're not offering those spots that you have available to high school kids, which you used to do in the past. I mean, you used it used to be, look, we maybe get a transfer or two in, but typically it's not it 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 you you wouldn't leave spots open on the roster. You would just take them on and and figure it out um you know roster wise with like medical retirements or whatever. Uh but look, now it's it's just it's just chaos with 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 that, but mainly I, look, I think there will be some normalcy when the covid year guys are officially out. And now the thing is is that a lot of teams have been leaving roster space for these guys, getting them in the transfer portal, still having them on their roster. So what you're going to see is that this next class, there might be more high school talent that is officially brought in um, to to some of these bigger schools. Um, but I, I, I mean, who I who really knows? You know, are there teams that are really just that hell bent? Like, here's the thing. I got to be honest, I don't know how Arkansas is adding anybody to their roster <laughs> straight out of high school. It's impossible. <laughs> they have like, they have five, I think it's like, I, it might be five transfer commits and they are still looking for more. <laughs> so from that perspective, how in the world, like, they, they are may not offer a single scholarship to a high school player. Now that I mean certainly not a smart strategy, but I mean even if they do, they may have one, two guys that are coming from the high school ranks. Where in the past, look, if there was as much roster turnover as they had, they would have to fill all of those spots with high school players. So it's certainly having 
an effect, but the extra year of eligibility is really what is taking a toll on recruiting overall. I think once that COVID year is out of play, you will see guys that will, will eventually be able um, to, you know, get get those scholarship offers out of high school that they weren't that that ones you know these past few years weren't receiving. The problem is, is that with the transfer portal, guys that were once, you know, fringe power five players, like if you're one of those types of guys, you're not going to get a scholarship offer. You're probably from power five. You're probably going to be stuck going to a mid-major because they would rather settle on a proven guy out of a mid-major school through the transfer portal that they know they can talk into going in there as opposed to you coming straight out of high school and, and, and betting that you're going to develop. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely just something that, um, you know, like I said, there, there aren't many times I've heard a college athlete kind of, kind of speak about the transfer portal, NIL, this type of stuff, the way, the way that puff did. And like I said, that, that was something I hadn't even really thought about was the impact that the portal is having at the high school level combined with that extra COVID year, which he said, you know, does expire. Um, I believe at the end of, at the end of this upcoming year is when, is when that COVID year itself does, does go out the window. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just a really insightful interview. Like I said, if you want to go listen to the full thing, just search the Wesson Walker show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. It'll be right there for you guys. You can go check out some of some of the other stuff that Puff had to talk about when he was on the show last week. A few other notes to talk about really quickly before we do get out of this edition of the pod. There were some rumors flirting around the internet last week about chances that Caleb Love would back out of his commitment to Jawan Howard and Michigan and and wind up back in Chapel Hill. Love put out two tweets, one uh, doubling down, saying that he is committed and that he will be playing for Michigan next year. And then a follow-up just basically asking people to stop saying stuff that isn't true because, well, it's kind of annoying and it's it's very, it's very exhausting. Again, we live in a world where we monitor this type of stuff and, and then follow it pretty closely and in-depth. Did you ever think there was a chance that Caleb Love would be backing out of that Michigan commitment and returning to Carolina for the 2023-2024 year? I mean, look, would I be shocked if he backed out of his commitment from Michigan? No. Would I be shocked if he came back to Carolina? Yes. Because of from all indications, Carolina pretty much told him, yeah, you, we're, we're parting ways. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, so, you go back to when the season ended and you go back to his exit interview, he expressed the desire to come back. And if you go back and you read, I'm pretty sure it was in Brendan Marks' article that he dropped kind of after the first wave of the offseason came through, Hubert Davis told him that that door was closed and, and that he was moving on and the coaching staff and the players were moving on. Mainly, R.J. Davis was moving on. So, I mean, I think at this rate, if he decommitted from Michigan, right, because we're still in the business of wanting Kato Love to be successful, no one's going to complain. Jawan Howard is one of the biggest frauds in coaching, 
and his program mm. has taken a significant turn for the worst this offseason. You lose Hunter Dickinson, he lands in Kansas, and he blasted Jawan Howard on the way out. You're losing your son and Kobe Bufkin to the NBA draft. Like It's going to be hard to see Michigan being a tournament team next year. So if he were to decommit and go to Indiana, a school that was heavy, heavily interested in him, back home to Missouri, also another school that expressed interest in him, I don't think Carolina fans would be upset with that, those of us that still want to see him be successful on the basketball court. I never once thought he was coming back because if if he were to come back, there's a pretty good chance R.J. Davis enters the portal and maybe even so Armando Baycott because those were the two dudes that if you read in between the lines and you, you read the messaging that was coming out of the program, those were the two dudes that were kind of I guess, over the Caleb Love experience, if you will. Yeah, I I mean, I think for sure, R.J. Davis, I mean, even if he doesn't end up transferring, the concern of of their relationship would once again be a thing. And I I think, you know, look, they kind of chose the guy that has more upside in R.J. Davis. We kind of knew that. You know, mm-hmm. towards the end of the year, that he he's a guy that's following the same path of a lot of former Tar Heel point guards, where it seemed like for Caleb Love things were trending in the wrong direction. So, I, I think they they made the decision that that they were going to bring back RJ and Armando, and they were going to try to build a, a a different looking roster around that. So. Yeah, I, I I never thought there was a chance that he was coming back. With, with the Michigan thing, I'm with you. I think you know him reevaluating his decision to go there. Like, yeah, that wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, we've already seen we've seen plenty of guys that have done that already. Um, that have committed to places and then they've sort of re- t- took taken a look around and reevaluated the situation and said, you know what, this this doesn't make sense for me and. I will say this for Caleb Love. Go off of what we just heard from Puff Johnson. He said, you know, with how quick things move, you kind of have to make those decisions. So, yeah, it would make some sense if all of a sudden he looked back and said, man, I don't really know if I made the right decision here. Maybe I want to, you know, give it a little bit more time and and really figure out if this is the right fit for me. Um, It also would not shock me if, you know, Jawan Howard has already rubbed him the wrong way because, I mean, look, man, we, we think that that could be a scenario where he could come in there and especially if, if they're going to roll pretty much with the team that they've got right now, he would probably be, you know, the, be- the, the best scoring option that they have. So, yeah, you would expect him to take a lot of shots. But at the same time, um, there could be somebody else on the team that Jawan Howard – you know, fancies a little bit more, and he could already be trying to tell him, "Look, man, you you th- this is what you have to do. Um, you're going to play the way I want you to play, or you know, we don't want you on the team." And I, I mean, it's he's a confrontational dude. We've seen it before, so yeah, that's not going to work for every guy. That 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 would be you know something that wouldn't shock me too much if he said you know look it just wasn't really a fit with with Coach Howard and um, you know it, it took me being on campus to realize that and that's why I, I've entered the portal. I mean look we've already seen it with 
you know, on the football side of things, we already saw it with two guys that transferred from Carolina that went to their new spots and re-entered the transfer portal, and they've already found their new homes. So, I mean, we're, we're now seeing it with Will Shaver. So I wouldn't be shocked if at some point, especially with, with options like Indiana and Missouri on the table, especially if Missouri was to lose Kobe Brown either to the transfer portal or to the NBA, would not shock me if they were still sniffing around trying to get him to re-enter the transfer portal, telling him, look, you're going to be the main guy here. Yeah, a few other things really quickly here before we do get out of here. Uh, Leaky Black, he posted, and it was confirmed uh, by sources, or I guess it was just out there. He did go through a pre-draft workout with the Golden State Warriors. Um, and look, as even though the Warriors are still competing for the NBA uh, to go to the NBA Finals and defend their championship, the pre-draft stuff, believe it or not, it, it does start up, you know, pretty quickly once the basketball season does come to an end on the college hardwood. And you know, Hubert Davis expressed many times during his two years as a head coach, he thought Leaky Black's defense could get him a job in the NBA. So it's going to be interesting just to see kind of what happens through him throughout. That 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 process, and then lastly, some uh, some some games for next year are coming together, and Carolina's non-conference schedule once again is going to be as as daunting as any other team in the country. Um, they are set to take on the defending champion UConn Huskies in the Jimmy V Classic. That'll be an MSG next year. First time Carolina's played in the Classic in. It's been well over a decade. I think the 2010 season or the 2011 season may have been the last time that Carolina was in the Garden uh, for the Jimmy V Classic. Of course, it's one of the best events that happens during the non-conference portion of the college basketball season um, as, as ESPN continues to do a great job with the V Foundation to raise money for cancer research. It's going to be a tough opponent that night. And what will be kind of both teams' backyards? Carolina proved this past year at the Garden um, that there's a fan base that will show up to watch that team play. And, of course, with UConn being less than two hours or so away, you imagine there will be a, a, a large Husky contingent in the crowd for that game. And then the CBS Sports Classic, Carolina and UCLA, they will meet in this year's edition, which now is in a new venue. It's going to be in Atlanta this year um and so you know it first started out they were in yeah, that was at new york chicago they i know they were in new orleans they've gone to vegas. las vegas they were in cleveland this past year now they're going to atlanta this year so carolina has a schedule that consists of the defending national champion ucla a team that made the second weekend of the ncaa tournament a year ago They've got is was was it Oklahoma? I think is who they, if I remember correctly, is who they've got here in the yes. Jumpman Invitational, and then you've got the the then they've got their Thanksgiving uh, tournament, and then the ACC SEC Challenge kicks off next year. So just like normal, uh, Carolina is putting together one of, if not the toughest, non-conference schedules in all of college basketball in preparation for a 20-game ACC slate. Ones that ones that we hope will be covering a bunch of wins as the team does look to return to the NCAA tournament. Well, with that, guys, 
that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. But before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com. Kind of in the offseason for really both sports. You got some football recruiting that's going on. Um, basketball, kind of waiting to see how the transfer portal finishes out for Huber Davis and his staff. Any news that breaks, any news of note, we'll have you covered there. That's HeelToughBlog.com. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the offseason. Well, with that, it is going to wrap up this edition of the show. want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.